Well, today we want to give a gift out to our listeners of a program, a message that has really touched us here, and I, mm. I know people who are listening are going to enjoy it. Well, Mike, you know, uh, we deal with a lot of problems related to the family here, and sometimes uh, we get pretty heavy uh, dealing with incest or marital problems or adolescent difficulties, teen sexuality, and so on. Um, I think it's fun every now and then, as you said, to just offer <laughs> a gift to our listeners. Yes. In the spirit of what we were just saying, an expression of, of love, uh, we have a tape that people are going to enjoy today. I'm telling you, you're going to like this program. <laughs> um, we're about to hear a recording made by a woman named Marge Caldwell. It's called Love and Laughter. Um, this tape has been in my possession for, for several years. I think it was recorded in 1983. Uh, it is still fresh. It has not lost its luster. And uh, in the midst of the laughter, and this tape is funny, uh, I'm telling you, the first time I heard it, I turned my face to the ceiling a couple of times and <laughs> guffawed. I was laughing like that, and my wife came in and said, what in the world are you laughing at? And I said, you got to hear this. And uh, she wound up laughing, too. But uh, in the midst of the laughter, there's a message here mm-hmm. in this uh, recording as well, and I think people are going to enjoy it. There's been a lot of laughter over the years in these studios, and it's been a, a, a healing bomb between some of the more uh, difficult subjects that we've had to deal with. And I think you're right. We need the laughter uh, as often as possible. Maybe one of our listeners out there today mm-hmm. just needs a good laugh. Uh, Solomon said the laughter is a medicine, mm-hmm. and I believe that. Yes. Uh, Marge Caldwell is married to a man named Charles Caldwell, um, she's a graduate of Rice University in Houston, Texas. She speaks all over the United States. And uh, what we're going to hear, as I said, is a uh, presentation given in 1983 at a weekend retreat. Um, since uh, receiving this tape, I have met Marge Caldwell. I was speaking <laughs> at the Reunion Arena in Dallas, Texas, uh, a few years ago. And she came down to the front and and uh, shook my hand, said her name was Marge Caldwell, and this tape jumped right out before me. <laughs> so she is a delightful lady. You're going to see that for yourself in uh, the recording we're about to hear. She's speaking to a fairly large group in an auditorium, and we're going to go ahead and play that tape and take our listeners right into that auditorium and share Marge Caldwell. But I tell you, I've had the worst time, y'all. I got sick last week, and I said, Lord, I'm sick get me well, you know, I mean, it wasn't bad sick, just a little bit, but anyway, he did, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, y'all, I, Chuck, now, Chuck is my husband, and he's still around, he really is, and I am too, and I want to tell y'all something, I've been, Chuck and I have been married 45 years, and I know what you're thinking, my soul, she's old enough to die, now, <laughs> Now, I want, I want you to know that we're still in love. Can you believe that? And when he took me there for it this, this today at noon, we just always said, honey, I'll be praying for you, you know, and I was so excited. We got all the luggage out and got it in the airport and he kissed me goodbye and that was so much fun. <laughs> and, and then, you know, he's so, he's so cute. He, when we first got married, he had a whole lot of hair and no stomach. And now it's been rearranged. And, and, and y'all, he, well anyway, 
I waved goodbye, and I thought everything was going to be great, and we got on the plane, and we just sat there. And I had to change planes in Phoenix, and I went up to the, you know, we just sat on the plane. I went up to the, the flight attendant, and I said, if we wait here too long, we're not going to make the plane that's leaving Phoenix, are we? And so we kept sitting there, and finally we took off, and, and I thought, Lord, you're so good, now make them fly fast. If I... <laughs> If I just brought my broom, but I didn't, and, and so, so y'all, I feel like I'm not with you, but I'll stand back here. I had to, I'll tell you why I had to stand back here in a minute. But anyway, so we we got almost, you know, to, to Phoenix about 30 minutes late, and, and as we taxied up there for it, the flight attendant said, I think we used to call her a stewardess, but anyway, she said, look out there, there goes the plane to Ontario. <laughs> And I thought, I'm going to kill myself right here on this plane. This lady next to me said, I don't feel well. And I said, well, I don't feel well either, but if you're going to throw up, get that sack, because I don't want you throwing up on me. <laughs> and so, sure enough, I wasn't that ugly. I said, I hope you aren't going to throw up, but if you do, there's the sack. But anyway, we just, and, and y'all, we, we got in the airport, and I went up to this flight, and man, I said, has our flight left? And he said, yes. And I said, what shall I do now? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, well, I have to get to Ontario. And he said, well, the next flight is 5.30. And I thought, 5.30? This, oh, well, I nearly had spasm, but I didn't. I held it. And so, then, y'all, we, we finally got here, got there to Ontario. And I had had 14 Cokes and six sacks of peanuts. I, I don't drink Cokes. I drink Tab because then I can eat the peanuts. See, it's real. But anyway, I, I had all of that and I thought I'm, I'm, our friends were waiting. Phyllis and Jane were waiting to pick me up and they'd been there since daybreak too waiting for me. And, and I said, uh, y'all, I just have to go to the restroom. I don't. And then we, I said, well, I'll get my luggage first and then. So we went over to get the luggage and I thought, no, this won't do. I have to. So I went in the and on the door was a big sign that says, Out of Order. <laughs> My soul, the whole, I want to say just one, I don't need but one, you know, could, the, the, the whole room was out of order. And I, I, I came back and I thought, I can't stand this. I, and, but I thought, well, I'll get my luggage and, um, my luggage didn't come. <laughs> That's not funny. Oh, y'all, you're going to have to look at this all week long. And I thought my luggage didn't get, Lord, where is my luggage? It may be in Washington, D.C. I have no idea, but it's not with me. But I'll tell you what is, my makeup kit. Because I tell you, if I don't have makeup on, I look like I have yellow jaundice, and I certainly don't want to look like that. And it has my extra eyelashes in it, and so I'm really glad. And so I know we're going to have such a good time and have so much fun. I, I, I know some of you have heard this, but I think I'll tell it again. I, I know God wants us to laugh. And have a good time and enjoy ourselves and just howl and holler. He's the one that thought up a sense of humor in the first place. And you know, some people get up and they say, Oh, good morning, Lord. And others get up and say, Good Lord, it's morning. And so it's a, it's a way we look at it that makes a difference. So I, 
if you have to, I, I will sleep in a blanket tonight and, and uh, put on my lovely dress again. <laughs> and I've been in it since 10 o'clock this morning, and I hope that you don't get too close. But I, I, re- I always want to hug everybody, so just hold your nose and we'll hug. But anyway, I, I just, I'm so thrilled to be, y- y'all, it is going to be so much fun, and this is going to be the kind of weekend I hope and I pray that it will be, that we'll, God's going to change our lives. He's going to do something exciting here. I know he has something exciting to do because it's been so hard to get around. But anyway, I, I want to, um, to just have fun with you this weekend, to have a good time and laugh and holler and just enjoy one another. So I just want you now just to take the hand of people on either side of you. Go ahead. Cross the aisle if you want to, if you can stretch that far. Take the hand of the person on either side of you. And y'all, let's just, let's just talk to the Lord. I think it's fun just to say, you know, hello, Lord, and stuff, dear God, you know, in that, I hear, don't you hear people in prayer meeting ever say, dear Lord, talk to him in another tone of voice and use words that long? <laughs> I think he's up there saying, get on with it, get on with it. I, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for tonight. Lord, I just thank you I'm here. And wherever my luggage is, Lord, please send it. And dear Jesus, just bless each mother and daughter in this room. Just make it, Lord, just help us to have so much fun we just can't stand it. And that we just love just oozes out all over the room. We just, just your love. And just everything is so much fun. Help us to have a good time. I'm so glad you thought up laughing. And it's all your idea. Thank you, Lord. It would be awful if we couldn't laugh. Thank you that we can laugh and have a good time and love each other. Thank you for that. We love you so much, Jesus, and I just want to ask you to bless us in a special way. I know you must have a special blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, you know, speaking of airplanes, I really want to tell you something that we like. <laughs> you want to talk too, don't you? <laughs> I want to tell you about an airplane trip I had that some of you have heard, but if you'll just go to sleep, I'll wake you up when it's over. <laughs> But I, it was so funny. I got on a plane out in Abilene, West Texas, and I was going to fly into Dallas. And uh, I got on this plane, and I sat down by this lady, and she's going, <laughs> and I thought my soul had to stand by somebody having a heart attack. And I, I turned around, and I said, could I help you? And she said, get off this plane. Get off the, I said, well, I can't do, I can't get off this plane. I just can't. I, I, you know, I didn't bring my broom. I told her that she thinks funny. And, and I've, I've got to get to Dallas, so I have to stay on this plane. And she said, you'll be sorry. Well, she was right. It was a small plane. We got up there in the wings. I looked out and they were just doing this, you know, and it was like we were on a roller coaster. And I thought, I never get air sick or car sick or motion sick. The only time I get sick is when I see somebody else gets sick I, I, and so I so I you know I, I, that really makes me sick so I thought well I, you know maybe nobody will get sick and so sure enough we were just flying along and she punched me and she said I'm going to be sick well I didn't know you made an announcement about it and I, I thought you just got that little sack and I said oh you're not going to be sick I'm going to think about I'm going to think of something for us to talk about and then you won't be sick and while I was thinking of something for us to talk about she got sick and 
I couldn't even help her. I just, I just couldn't. I just had to look the other way, and I looked across the aisle down, and then other people were getting sick, and I thought, oh, Lord, please, down girl. And so, sure enough, I looked across the aisle and down four or five rows, and this guy wasn't sick. I could tell by the back of his head he wasn't sick. And so I just kept my eyes glued on him, and I thought, I know. I'm going to watch that boy. And so it got rougher and rougher, and this little sturdies came in and sat down, the only vacant seat across the aisle from me, because she was just couldn't walk, you know, it was just going like this. And so we were flying along, and the same lady leaned over to me, and she said, I'm going to faint. I said, don't faint. I don't know what to do. And I looked at the sturdies, and I said, she's going to faint, and I don't know what to do. And she said... We've got to change places. I'll take care of her. And she said, now this can be dangerous. Now I'll bet it can. And she said, now you stand up and grab that overhang. And that's where we put everything. It was falling off. And she said, then, then I'll slip in behind you as a small plane. She said, now when it levels off, you step out in the aisle and don't let go here until it levels off. And then you let go and grab over there. I thought, all right, that's what I'll do. So I stood up and I grabbed that overhang. She slipped in behind me and I looked around and you know these big old wooden purses your mothers used to carry well mine was on my arm and I thought she's not going to faint when this thing hits her she'll die <laughs> it, was just, it was just going doy, oy, oy, and I thought poor lady she's not here for long and I, I couldn't let go though and and so the plane leveled off and I got out in the aisle you know and I waited while it was level and I let go and I started to grab and it went doing and I went running down the aisle <laughs> Now, they just had a curtain between the pilot and the people, and I thought, <laughs> I thought he's sure going to feel funny when I join him, because I, I can, <laughs> then I thought, now I'm going to feel funny if I just pass on through. And, oh, I was so scared, and I was screaming, help me, help me. And, you know, I, it was awful, and it sounds funny now, but I, when I think of something funny, I write it down and put a little note in my purse, you know, put these little notes in my purse. Well, and just, I was running down the aisle, and all of a sudden, the plane went thunk like that, and I flipped over in somebody's lap. <laughs> I threw my purse, it hit the ceiling, it broke open, all my brains were flying out all over, the, I just nearly died. And my lipsticks, everything was everywhere. And and you know what? <laughs> I was upside down, but I won't tell you in somebody's lap. But I tell my girls in charm classes now, at all times, under all conditions, a lady keeps her knees together. <laughs> and I want you to know I was upside down that man's lap, but my knees were together. <laughs> and so, and I was just screaming, hold me, hold me. And two big old hairy arms came around. This deep, sexy voice said, I've got you, lady. <laughs> I didn't care if it was an ape if it held on. Oh, my soul, I was so scared. Well, finally, he set me up in his lap right side up, you know, and I looked around the top of his head and I said, how do you do? <laughs> I'm Marge Caldwell. And he said, how do you do? I'm Major Thomas. And I thought, oh, my soul, I fall in that preacher's lap, you know, that flies around speaking all over. Well, it wasn't. And they helped me back and I sat down that seat over there <laughs> and I kept watching that man. He was the one that had never been sick. And he got so sick right before we got to Dallas. And, oh, he was real sick. Well, y'all, when we got there, 
there. They had an ambulance out there and wheelchairs and a fire wagon, a fire engine and all that mess. And I thought, my soul. And they even ran foam. If you, you know that and the foam goes out. Have you ever seen that? Well, I hadn't either. And I tell you what, it scared me so. And, you know, when I got off that plate, well, they just, this poor guy, they had to put him in a wheelchair and take him out. He was so sick. And Chuck met me and I said, oh, honey. He said, what was wrong? And I said, the lady by me was so sick and I was so scared I was going to get sick. And I was telling him, I said, that man right over there, he wasn't sick at all. And honey, I fell in his lap. And Chuck said, well, you know, when you're sitting there minding your own business or your mind, a mile off, and uh, all of that falls in your lap. You know? <laughs> Some days I could just eat him up, and the next day I wish I had. I tell you, <laughs> but it's so much fun to be here, and uh, I want to share a little bit of my life with you. And I'll just share a little bit because for sure, I share very much. <laughs> We'd be here too late. But anyway, I'm going to just visit with you, just like you and I were in my den, sitting there talking. I want to share a little bit about what God's done, and. And how, what's happened. And maybe there's somebody here that has the same thing. Some of these things happen to them. And maybe God is working with you. And maybe he's going to do something so special. You, I bet you some of you didn't want to come. I bet your mother said, we are going. You need this. I don't want to go to that. I want to stay home and have a date with Jimmy. You can see Jimmy later. You see him too much anyway. I'm going to take you. Well, Mother, what is she going to say? What are they going to do on that weekend? I don't know. But God will tell you. Well, I don't want to listen to God. Well, you are going to anyway. Now, you just hush. And I want. I don't want to see you cutting up or leaving those grounds. And I want you to listen. I'm going to watch to see if you listen. <laughs> If I were the daughter, mother said she's going to watch, see if I was listening. I'd let her watch, but I wouldn't listen. <laughs> so I know how some of you feel. <laughs> Are you glad you came? Well, good, good. <laughs> some of you are still saying, I don't know. I'll wait and tell you tomorrow. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I've asked God to make you have a good time. I asked him to make us laugh, make us have fun. And I didn't know to pray for the substitute, but I prayed for the singer and the piano player. And I'm so glad. I think you're so pretty besides. And she's so young. Isn't that wonderful? And I think it's so exciting. <laughs> Got a cute figure, too. You know, that's so nauseating. <laughs> I tell you, I'm, I'm going to try to get serious. I'll never make it, but I'll try to. <laughs> but I ask God to make you have a good time and to touch your heart and to make you laugh. And if you came up this mountain feeling sad, maybe some of your mamas are kind of sad. Maybe some of you, you're so uptight, you don't know which way to turn. And some of you have had something very sorrowful happen in your life just lately. And maybe some of the daddies have gone. And the mothers are so sick at heart. And maybe some of the kids are way out in the far country somewhere. And, and you're so sad. You just cried out to God. And then some of you are sitting here whose kids are just so great. And they're sitting here with you. And they, you love each other. And that's wonderful. But no matter what your, what your state is right now, 
I know Jesus Christ has a very special something for you. So, now tonight, before you go to bed, and while we're here even, ask him to help you to get something very special. And I hope you're not sitting there saying, I am so glad Mary came. She needed this. Oh, I hope you're not doing that. I want you to take up your spiritual mirror and look at yourself as I look at myself. My dad was an alcoholic. And I don't know if you know what that means, a lot of you. But that means violence and heartache and fright and and drunkenness and sick, sick, sick. And all these things that... You see, the reason I get so sick when I see someone else get sick is from the time I was about six or seven till I left home as a college girl, um, my mother couldn't clean up after my dad because it made her so terribly sick. And so I had to do it. And I couldn't have my dates from my house because my dad would curse them when we'd come home at night and I'd have to have them from a friend's house and and my little brother and I, when we were young, would just hover in a, our bedroom and put pillows over our heads so we couldn't hear what was going on. I'm not telling you that so you'll think, poor Marge. I'm telling you because I want to tell you where I was and how it was and what God did. And so Mother would come in every morning. And you young girls who have little babies remember this. I, I'm just an optimistic person. I just know everything's going to be all right. I just knew my luggage was coming, but I don't know what happened. <laughs> but I, I just knew everything was, I just know, knew everything was, uh, Mother did it. See, I can't take any credit for that. Because every morning, Mother came in with a little glass of juice and she'd say, Wake up, darling. What is God going to do for us today? Oh, what can we do for Him? And, I just woke up just excited to be alive. And now at my age, I'm really excited when I wake up. <laughs> That's wonderful. But anyway, Chuck says I have a hangover from it. I wake up in a new world every day. <laughs> Takes me a while to wake up. My body gets up at 7. My mind joins it at 9. And in the meantime, I'm in limbo. Are you kind of like that? Chuck is a morning person. Ugh. When we got married, there are a lot of things you have to get used to when you get married, and it's not written up in everything you want to know about sex and afraid to ask. It's not even in there. And, you know, it's how you wake up in the morning. Chuck woke up, and, every, you know, when we first, the next morning after the night before when we had been married, first night, I, I thought, oh, you know, if you're, well, any of you who are married, when you wake up the next morning, you think, ah, there's a man in my bed, you know. And, and, and sure enough, you think, oh, yes, <laughs> that's Chuck. Well... It's it's awful. It's a funny feeling. But anyway, uh, I thought, I want my mother. <laughs> I want to go home. I don't like this. But anyway, I'd have died if they made me go home. But anyhow, you know, he got up that morning. Hello, Marge. Good morning, honey. And slapped me on the back. And I just fell over. And he said, picked me up. And he said, in it. And I said, don't do that. Don't jar me so early in the morning. Please be careful with me early. Wait till nine and I'll be your equal, but right now don't bother me. He's singing the showers, the most sickening sound in the world. I thought, I can't stand it. I'm going to have to go home to my mother. I can't stand it. And he was happy. He just, hello, you know, good morning. And I just, he'd come walking in. He'd say, honey, 
hey, you know, after we'd been married a while, how you doing? I was standing there making, well, we had two kids in school, been married quite a while, and I had an old beat-up house coat on. It was kind of a, you know, I'm, it's just kind of an old, well, it had a button every now and then, and, it, and you know, and it was, it, it, it was, the hem was half out, and I had my hair, we didn't have antenna like you do now, but just flat bobby, I looked like a flathead and no makeup, I looked sick, and I'd shuffle into the kitchen every morning, you know, and make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for school, yuck. And I, I tried to put bologna in their sandwiches, and they didn't like they want peanut butter, ooh, it was awful. But anyway, he'd come in smiling, and I'd think, why don't you drop dead, you know, <laughs> ooh. I tell you, but anyway, way back there, when I was a kid at home, I used to, I accepted Jesus when I was 14, and he came to live in my heart. I asked him to come in, and he did, because that's what he said he'd do if I asked him to, and I did, and and I knew he wasn't a commuter. I knew he didn't run off and come back, run off and come back. He just stays there. I didn't understand all about the Trinity. I didn't see how Jesus could be up there on that side of God and still in here. <laughs> and I still don't. <laughs> but I'm not going to let that keep me from enjoying him up there, here, anywhere. He is all around. The Holy Spirit's in here. The only way I can understand that is... God is the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what the Bible says. No way I can understand it. I know the, the, the professors in colleges would just turn pale if they knew how well I could explain it. But, uh, but, you know, I'm just a mother and a daughter and a, you know, and a sister. <laughs> and I'm, I'm three people. But I'm a wife to Chuck. And that's wonderful. And I have a certain relationship with him. It's exciting, and then I have a relationship with my kids. It has nothing. It's, it has a lot to do with that, but I mean, it's not just exactly. <laughs> yes, it has quite a bit. To do. Well, anyway, <laughs> and then then I I'm I'm a daughter, and that has another relationship. That's another relationship. That's three people. I am, but I'm one, and in a very elementary kind of way that makes it kind of plain to me it may confuse you all over but anyway I knew I accepted Jesus and I used to pray God I'd go out in the backyard rains all the time in Houston and I'd go out in the backyard and look up and say God please save my daddy please make him quit drinking God my mother I don't know what's going to happen to my mother and and I'd be so scared because we were so frightened. And when I graduated from high school, I was salutatorian. That I don't know whether you have those out here or not, but anyway, you make a speech. And I was making a speech, and my daddy was drunk in the balcony, screaming out, "That's my girl! That's my girl down there!" And I thought, "Oh, you know how it is when you get so embarrassed." And I used to pray, "God, do something." Now, if anybody had ever told me, now, Marge. This will be one of the most most important times of your life to be reared in a home with an alcoholic. I thought, why? If they told me that, I thought you've got to be crazy. What's so wonderful about that? But you see, folks, I work with young people. I live where you young people live all the time. I work with cop-outs and drop-outs, drug addicts. And I work in the charm school with all the up-and-outers. And I work my, I teach college freshmen. Ooh, I love them. I could eat them up. On Sunday morning, they're so special. I love teenagers. 
when they're little bitty, I kind of want somebody to take them and pat them on the head and love them. But when they get to be 13 and 14 and 15 and clear on up through college age, I could just eat them with a spoon. I just love them. And those that are down and out and having trouble and their hearts and their minds and their bodies are all messed up, I love them. And they'll say, oh, Miss Cole, you don't understand. My dad's an alcoholic. My mother drinks all the time. They're just drunk all the time. I never have any, any home peace at home at all. I can say, I understand. Oh, Miss Cole, you wouldn't understand. Yes, I do. I understand because I was there. And I know how it is. And I know how your heart hurts. And I know that God can do something about it because he did. And prayer will make a difference because I kept praying. Don't you ever stop praying for your, your dad or your mom or whoever it is you're praying for that, that's an alcoholic. Don't you stop praying. Oh, God can work a miracle that is out of this world. Well, I won't tell you what happened. Anyway, <clears throat> I went all through high school and I was in love with, I've loved guys ever since I was 13, just drooled over them, you know, just, <laughs> just num, 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 you just love them. And <laughs> I'm glad I'm a woman. Some people haven't decided which way to go yet, you know, they're just <laughs> kind of, but I'm so glad to be a, a woman, I don't know what to do. I started to use the term girl, but I thought you'd get that. Well, anyway, <laughs> I fell so in love with this guy. And he was a wonderful Christian. I thought, oh, Lord, you sent me a Christian to be in love with. I'm so excited. I'm going to... We got more in love and more in love. And then we graduated from high school. And then he went to one college. And I went to Rice University there in Houston. And he went about 90 miles off to Texas A&M. And I went up to visit. And he'd come home. And we fell more in love all the time. And in the summer between our, between our sophomore and junior year in college, well, we were going to get married. Lord, I was so excited. Lord, you're so good. Mwah! I just thought you picked me out somebody that's so super and he loves the Lord. And, and I, I'm just excited to death. And now, you didn't work and put your husband through school in those days. Uh, you, you know, you just moved where they were or you went on with them. And if you married them, you went with them. That really was convenient. And then you just, you just, uh, you know, you didn't put them through school and work. So I was supposed to quit school and go up to A&M and, and, be his wife and a few weeks before the marriage you know when all the invitations are out and the gifts are coming in and you have your bridesmaids dresses and oh you know all the exciting things and I was so excited I couldn't stand it parties and then one morning real early I was called to come to the hospital about six o'clock that Marvin was very ill I thought oh no and mother and I drove quickly up to the hospital and I walked in and looked down to the face of the guy I was to marry in just a short time. And he was dying. Dying? I thought, oh, God, no. You can't do this to me. And I looked down while I was there, while I was standing there, he died. And I thought, oh, no. And I wanted to die, too. I, I've never been so devastated. I was... So sick and so scared and so mad at God and so upset. And I thought, I can't stand it, Lord. And I got madder by the day. And as time wore on that summer, I became so hostile and rebellious toward God. 
And I thought I was just shaking my spiritual fist in God's face and trying to pretend he wasn't there. Down deep, I knew he was. But I was just thinking, if that's the way you are, God, I don't want to do anything, don't have anything to do with you. And while I was doing this in Houston and suffering and wanting to die, I went to Mother's Medicine Cabinet two or three times. I knew where those pills were, and I could take them all. I really wanted to die. And if anybody had said to me, Marge, this is a very important time in your life because you're going to learn something that will help you later, I would have thought, well, I don't want to learn it. Whatever it is, I don't care. But you see, when I look in the faces of people there in Houston, young people, I'm on call at the hospital all the time now for young people who try to take their own lives. And I go to see them. And I've told you, I think, before some of you about Jan. Jan was a student, a sophomore in Texas, in Huntsville, Texas, and she had tried to take her own life, and I heard about her. All I knew was her name, and I went up to the hospital, and she was lying there awake. And I said, Jan, I love you, darling. And God loves you so much. She said, get out of here. You get out of here. You don't love me. You don't know me. And God, and I thought she was going to spit on me. She said, God doesn't love me. If he, he doesn't love me, and there isn't any God anyway. And I said, oh, Jan, yes, he loves you, darling. There is a God, and he loves you so much. He made you. She said, oh, big deal, lady. You talk so big. I'll tell you a few things I've done. Let's see how much you love me and how much that God of yours loves me. And I said, Jan, you don't need to tell me, honey. She said, oh, yeah, you talk so big. And she curled my hair for about 15 minutes. Then she said, now, do you love me, lady? And I said, more than I did when I came in this room. And she said, I guess God loves me. And I said, oh, Jan, yes, darling, he loves you. And she started crying, and she leaned toward me, and she said, Lady, don't tell me anything that isn't true. I even blew this. I can't even take my own life. And don't tell me something that's not true. And I said, Oh, Jan, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh into the Father but by me. And he said, Jesus said, You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And she cried, and I put my arms around that precious girl. She didn't accept Jesus that day, but she did later. And I just saw her Sunday a week ago, well-adjusted, happy, beautiful, married young woman with a tiny little girl by her side, so happy, so well-adjusted. And she said to me over and over, you don't know how it is to want to die. And I said, yes, I do. Because, Jan, when I lost the boy that I was to marry, I wanted to die. And I went to the cabinet, and I'd look in, and I think I could take that whole bottle of pills and end it all. But thank God he didn't let me. And all the time I was going through that horrible time way out in West Texas, there was a guy that was telling his mother and daddy goodbye because he was going to Louisiana State University on a football and track scholarship. Well, he had a layover in Houston. He was has two hours there before he could. And they didn't have letters of intent and all that complication about asking you to play football like they do now. They just wrote you a letter and said, would you come play football? And if you said you would, they sent you the money. It was that, that simple. And he was on his way to LSU. And he had a two-hour layover in Houston. And you know the Rice University football coach heard there was a football player down there. And he went down and got him. 
and they sent the money back to LSU, and he came to Rice. And you know that football coach thought he got him. I know who got him, don't you? You know what really works? Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Even when we're mad at God, all the time we're mad and upset at him, he's still working everything for us. Thank you, Lord. And you know what? I met Chuck, and now I was sad, but I wasn't blind. (laughs) Oh, boy. He had 44 shoulders and a 29 waist. I looked at him and I thought, well, you sure are cute, but I could care less about a boyfriend. But everybody at school knew Mother and Daddy made me go back to Rice and I wanted to just die, but they made me go on back and finish my education. And and there he was. And he heard about me and he decided to be my friend. God sent me a friend. And I'll tell you, he let me go out on the foot of this old statue out there near a park in Houston every night and I'd cry. And I'd cry. Nobody else would let me cry. Everybody would say, oh, let's go to the show. Oh, Mars, don't cry. Let's go. And I wanted to cry. And I just wanted to scream and yell. And we'd go out there on that base of that statue and I'd scream, why? Tell me, Chuck, just tell me why did God do it? And he'd say, I don't know, Marge. But all I know is that God never takes anything away from you, that he doesn't give you something better in its place. He didn't know he's going to be the better. (laughs) And so almost he was my best friend. And I would cry and cry and cry, and he'd pat me and say, it's okay. God has something wonderful. And God used that young man to heal me, to help heal me. And so... You know how you have a bunch of girlfriends? Well, I had, a, there were about eight of us that ran around together, and we'd been friends, and I hadn't had a date with them. We'd just always been together in crowds, and I, oh, almost a year had passed, and one night we had a slumber party, and they sat around and put me right in the middle, and they said, if you don't want him, let him go. And I said, I don't know what in the world you're talking about. <laughs> and they said, we're talking about Chuck now. And I said, well, you can have him. He's just my friend. But you know how we are, girls, if somebody else wants them. <clears throat> Next night he came over and I took a good long look at him and I thought, ooh, I think I want you myself. <laughs> and so we began to date and we fell madly, excruciatingly, yummily in love. Now that is in love. When our daughter, Gay, was 15, she said to me one day, Why in the world did you name me Gay? And I said, Well, when we named you Gay, it was a nice word, for heaven's sake. (laughs) But she was about 15, and she came in, she said, Mother, I'm having the worst time. And I said, Why, honey? She said, Oh, Lawrence and I are so in love. She said, It's so hard to be good when you're so in love. And then she looked at me and said, Oh, you and Daddy wouldn't understand you were so good. And I said, Sit down, Gay. And I curled her hair for about 15 minutes. (laughs) Boy. You know, and then we got married. And oh, Chuck was in the oil business. I said he was in the oil business. You know what? I better hurry. When is this over? When, when I get through, oh, if you get up and leave, I'll stop talking. No, I'll be, I won't, can you listen fast? Okay, I'm talk fast. We had a wonderful time. Mother, we had a son first, and then we had a daughter five years later. <laughs> so much fun. Chuck was such an ugly little thing. You know, when, 
Yeah, it was true. I, it was the funniest thing. I, I had to follow a lady on a lot of programs in, De- in uh, Texas. She speaks everywhere, named Sybil, Ar- Sybil Arms, and she's so feminine and tiny and has this teeny little figure, plays the violin, and she has a, oh, she has a vocabulary that's just out of this world. She's just fabulous, and I have to follow her. It's like from the sublime to the ridiculous. And so I said, Chuck, I've got to follow her again this weekend. I will just die one weekend when I was getting ready to go. And so sure enough, her, her speech, right before I got up, she said, I had a little baby. He was, she was so beautiful. She was pink and white, and they laid that little pink and white bundle in my my arms, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, my baby. And I had to follow that. <laughs> and I said, I had a baby too. <laughs> they laid that little red, squalling, wrinkle-looking thing in my arm. Bone of my bone, flesh of my, my baby. He looked like a varmint, and that's really true. <laughs> I was his mother, but he was funny-looking, and I knew it. And, you know, <laughs> I... So when Gay came, she was a vast improvement on him, and we thought she was pretty. And then Gay was about two, and he was seven, and I began to fall apart. Mother told Chuck when we got ready to get married, she said, Chuck, she can't cook and sew, but she is the healthiest person you ever saw in your life. You know what Chuck told our whole church the other night? I thought it was really ugly. He stood up and said, if I want to hide anything from Marge, I put it in the oven. (laughs) Isn't that ugly? Now, that's ugly. (laughs) And you know what? The preacher got up right after that, and you know what he said? He said, even the mice eat out at Margie's house. (laughs) God. Well, I don't care. (laughs) But anyway, I began to fall apart. My nerves began to give way, and I began to cry a lot. And depression started in, and I thought, oh, God, what's the matter with me? And I began to cry and walk the floor, and I lost weight. And I I just, I I was like I was in a long tunnel, and I couldn't see the end. Oh, y'all, I don't want to argue with anybody about what hell's like. If hell is anything like depression, I just want to be sure I don't go there. And it was the most terrible time. And I and Chuck would say, God love him. He'd say, honey, I don't know what's the matter. I've never been like this, but honey, I love you. And I'd say, you can't love me. I'm so skinny and ugly and, and I'm sick and I don't know what to do. And I cry all the time and you know I'm so scared. And he said, honey, I didn't marry you when I said I'd marry you. I didn't say it for better or worse, but I'll only take the better. I, I, I married you because I love you, period. And God used that consistent, constant love to help me heal. And then one day I kept getting worse and worse, and one day they took me to a psychiatrist. Now, in those days, you didn't go to a psychiatrist to find out who you were. You went to find out where they were going to put you. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no. And I went up there and I said, Dr. Smith, you better put me away. Something wrong is very wrong with me. And he said, no, as long as you think something's wrong with you, you're safe. It's when you won't put Chuck away, I'll be worrying about you. And so the days got long. And I really, really was down. And fear and guilt entered my life. I was so guilty. God, why am I this way? I have a husband who loves me and two kids who have one head apiece and they're normal, whatever that is. Lord, what in the world? And I was just sick and I would just cry out, oh God, do something for me. Well, the days got better and, and I got 
a little bit better, and then the good days got more than the bad days. And one day we were living in Oklahoma City. We were out hanging up. I was out hanging up clothes, and, and I looked up, and God never does speak to me. Marge, if he did, I'd never hear the second thing he said, because I'd either die fright or I'd be the first one in the rapture. I, did, I didn't know which one. But you, maybe he speaks to you that way. That's all right. But he knows how he can speak to us. And it's just kind of in my mind. It was just like he said, Marge, you're going to get well. And I thought, oh, Lord, I'm going to get well and get to be a wife and a mother again. Like, oh, God, thank you. And the good days got better. And the bad days got a little fewer. And then one day I was well. And I am so grateful to God for that terrible valley. You know why? Because now I'm on the staff of our church in the counseling center, and now I sit there till early morning, till five and six in the afternoon, and every hour, either a teenager or married marital problems. I do all the teenagers and those with marital problems, and they come every hour, and I can say, I know how you feel. I know, but it's okay, because God can heal you, and he will. Oh, I thank God that he let me take off the mask I'd worn all my life. When I went through this terrible time of depression, I learned how to take that mask off. Because you see, I thought if people knew me, they wouldn't like me. So I tried to be somebody else I thought they'd like. And I found freedom. And I want you to, this week, this weekend, that's what I hope. That if you've worn a mask up here, that you'll take it off and, oh, it is so much fun to be free. Free to be yourself, old crazy nutty Marge. I can just go ahead. Chuck says, go to it, Marge. He Go on, be as nutty and crazy. He doesn't call me a dingbat. He just looks at me once in a while like maybe there's something to that. But <laughs> no, he's so sweet and wonderful to let me be me. And I am so excited that I can be who I am. And it's freedom. It's wonderful. I'm going to tell you in the morning of how to do it. And that's going to be fun to see you rip that old mask off and let that face come out and glow for the Lord and you just be you. That's going to be so exciting. And you know what? Sure enough, we moved back to Houston after I was well. My daddy was drinking all the time, so bad and cursing so badly. And for two years, you know, we just went to church on Sunday morning. Wouldn't you think we'd have been very active? But well, we were just so busy raising kids and doing everything else. And we always went to church and Sunday school on Sunday morning. But that was it. We didn't want to get involved. Because if you went down there too much, they really made you live down at the church. I don't know how I knew. But I thought that was what they did. And you know what? Billy Graham's team came to Houston. And we had some mutual friends who knew the team, and they let us, we made ice cream and cake, and every night we took the ice cream and cake over to where the team was, and we sat down and listened to them talk. And back in those days, in my denomination, maybe not in yours, I don't drink, and I don't dance, and I don't smoke, and I don't do this, and I don't do that, and that made me real good, you know, if I didn't do about bunch of things. I was sick of that. It was one girl said to me, Miss Caldwell, I don't drink, I don't dance, I don't smoke, I don't use makeup, and I thought, <laughs> you can stand a little. And she went on to tell me, and I thought, my soul, I don't care what you don't do, tell me what you do, and then I'll know who you are. And so you know what? 
Sure enough, I didn't, those guys didn't sit around and talk about what they didn't do. They talked about what Jesus was doing, and I got so excited, I thought I couldn't stand it. And I thought, can you use a nut, Lord? Can you use an idiot? Because I do, I thought I was, you know, I marched to a different drummer or something. I saw something funny when nobody else did. And I thought, what in the world's wrong? And you know what? One morning, May the 8th, 1952, I knelt down in my kitchen. Chuck was on a business trip in Oklahoma City, and I'd had it. And the Billy Graham team, I had, a, I had a fight on my hands. It was Satan saying, don't get involved. Now, don't you give your life to Christ, because if you do, you're going to be in a mess. He's going to always, you're just going to, Chuck's not going to like that. And you're going to be at the church all the time. Don't give your life to Christ. Don't get involved. Because you see, we were in the oil business and we were in the sales end of the oil business and entertaining and all that. And he said, you can't do that. You know, you better watch it. And there was another voice was saying, there's more, Marge. There's more to being a Christian than just Sunday morning. You're going to love it. And I had a civil war. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you in high school. God said, I want you. And another voice saying, Oh, man, don't be different. Don't be. You don't want to be like that. And you don't want to, oh, man, don't listen. And there's another voice saying, oh, man, I can use you. I want you. I need you in high school. Oh, you know what it is. And you know what happened? Well, I just knelt down in my room, May the 8th, 1952. And I said, Jesus, I give you my life, my kids, my husband, my everything. And please make Chuck understand he loves to run and play. And I didn't know how he'd act when I told him. And and you know what? I got up and I thought I'd give my life to Christ. Surely something exciting would happen. Nothing did, so I just cleaned up the house. I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> and and you know what? When Chuck got home, you know what? He, he said, Marge, I have a surprise for you. And we went home and he said, Honey, this morning I was in my hotel room and I, I just knelt down by my bed and I said, God, I'll give you my wife and my kids and my business, my social life, my career. I give you my life, Lord. And I said, Lord, please make Marge understand. She just loves to run and play. <laughs> Don't you know the Lord was amused? But you know what? We started having more fun. <clears throat> and Chuck, I'd say, honey, what does God want us to do? And he said, I don't know. Has he said anything to you? And I said, no, he hadn't said a word to me. He'd come home from work and he said, Lord, say anything to you today? And I said, not a word. He said anything to you? And we didn't, we didn't know what to do and we didn't know who to ask. And you, you know, we didn't know, just didn't know what to do. So you know what we started? We thought, well, maybe he just speaks on Sunday night. So we started going to church on Sunday night. And so one Sunday morning, this young person came up to me at Joel Blair and he said, Miss Caldwell, we don't have any train union leaders uh, in our night meeting that, that we have. And I said, well, I, we don't like train union. I'm sorry. We had never been, but we knew we wouldn't like it. And, and so every Sunday night, y'all, every Sunday night, he'd come, and here was God trying to open the door to young people, and we were kicking his shut, saying, I wonder what God wants us to do. And isn't that funny? But anyway, one night, one morning he came, and he said, if you come tonight, we'll never ask you again. Chuck said, good enough. That's fine. We'll come, because he was beginning to worry us a little. And you know what? We went up there, and I will tell you all something. Over 200 teenagers and college students, and they were up there sharing their testimony. They were talking, and back in those days, people didn't say Jesus. They said, the Lord, God. That's what they said back there. And, and if they said Jesus, it was adults, it was kind of like they were passing heroin back and forth, you know. 
It was just like they was hiding. And and I, they were talking about Jesus, and they were laughing and talking. I said, honey, look at them. I love them. Aren't they darling? And Chuck said, no, we're not coming up here. You see, I thought teenage was a disease you had right before you came an adult. I didn't know that it was anything like this. And it was so exciting. And y'all, I just couldn't stand it. And I, Chuck said, no, we're not coming. And we stood up to be dismissed with prayer. And the guy who prayed said, and thank you, Jesus, for sending the Caldwell's counselors. Now, that was sneaky, but he got us up there. <clears throat> that was May the 8th, 1952. A lot of our friends said, give them time. They'll get over it. Last Sunday was May the 8th, 1983. And we took our son and daughter-in-law and our daughter and son-in-law and our grandkids and we celebrated the greatest anniversary that ever happened to us, May the 8th, the change in our lives. When God turned us around, it was so exciting. We just cried and loved each other. And right up there in the, in the petroleum club, right in front of everybody, we <laughs> and giving each other Mother's Day gifts and just crying and talking about Chuck and I were holding hands. Long time ago, Gay would say when she was about 15, quit that, that looks so dumb. <laughs> now she's older and she said, isn't that cute? <laughs> Don't underestimate the power of a changed life. Don't you quit praying. My daddy started watching Chuck. He watched him very carefully. And miracle of all miracles, he came to me one day and he said, what's wrong with Chuck? And I said, nothing, Daddy. Why? He said, something's different about him. I said, ask Chuck, Daddy. He went in and asked him, and Chuck said, oh, Mr. Boyd, nothing's wrong. It's right for the first time in my life. And it's so wonderful. And Daddy, Chuck watched Daddy. And the day of miracles, one day, Daddy came to me and he said, if what Chuck has is Jesus, can you help me have him too? And I had the joy of leading my dad to the Lord. He never took another drink. He lived five years, had both legs amputated at, during those five years. Never a curse word. Never. In all the sedation that he had, never a curse word. And, I lo- and he said to me one day, I, Marge, will I have legs in heaven? And I said, oh, sure, Daddy. You'll have a glorified body that's just perfect. He's up there now. I guess he's playing 42 because that's what he wanted to do. I don't know. I don't know what they do in heaven, but I know it's going to be so great. I was telling Chris when he was eight years old. Chris is, was eight. That's a grandson. And Chuck was 11. And I told Chris all about heaven. And he said, oh, Grandmama, that's great. And he grabbed my hand and said, let's go now. And I said, well, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> One day Chris said to me, Grandmama. Did God make me? And I said, yes, darling, he did. You know he made you. And he said, did he make you? And I said, yes, darling. He said, well, then why did he put those wrinkles in your face? I was just... And later we were... I was in the kitchen. I heard Chuck, the 11-year-old at that time. He said, Chris, don't talk to Grandmama about her wrinkles. You're going to hurt her feelings. And Chris said, well, Chucky, how old is Grandmama? And Chucky said, she's got to be 100. Boy, I came around there real fast. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, God, for making me whole. Thank you, God, for giving to me such a great salvation, so rich and so free. 
not cheap, but free. Thank you, dear Jesus, for tonight. Thank you for laughter, for joy. Thank you even for broken hearts and broken dreams, because we know you take those broken dreams and broken hearts, and you put them together again, and you help us to live and to love and to laugh again. I thank you for that, Jesus. And there's some girl in this room, some woman, whose heart isn't right, whose heart maybe is broken, Lord. There might be one here who knows exactly what I'm talking about, about depression, who knows exactly what I'm talking about, about not wanting to live anymore. Oh, God, put your precious arms around them and give them such a sense of strength and love and joy and help them to know that you are the God of life and you'll make it all right. You'll bring it all back together again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, with that, we come to the end of a message by Marge Caldwell on today's edition of Focus on the Family. And, Doctor, I almost wanted to break into music as she quoted the words from that chorus, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. She's so skilled. That's That's the first time you ever sang on this broadcast, (laughs) And probably the last. That's about the only communication skill she didn't use. Uh She is such a gifted person, isn't she? Yes, Mike, and for all her humor... On this tape, there's real compassion Mm -hmm. in her voice. You can tell that she loves the Lord and that she loves people. That really comes across. I think there's ministry in what we've heard. No question Uh, about it. There is one point uh, in the tape that I would like to go back to and comment on because uh, she made reference to her period of depression that she went through, Mm -hmm. kind of a, Mm a vague, unidentified sickness that she experienced. Uh, now, I've only met Marge once, uh, mm-hmm. briefly after I'd spoken in Dallas, Texas, and I have no medical or psychological information about her. So what I'm going to say now is a guess. But it appears to me that uh, that kind of unexplained depression that she was describing is most often related to the phenomenon called menopause. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, her age in life at, at the time that this was going on is consistent with that uh, guess mm-hmm. as a diagnosis. And uh, it is, it's typical uh, for um, depression to be unrelated to environmental circumstances. You know, she wasn't able to identify why it came on her. Why should she be depressed? She had a good husband and circumstances were going uh, right for her, and yet she went through this great time of struggle. Uh, and the reason is because it's internal. It's coming from within, if our guess is correct. I say that on behalf of other women who are also going through this uh, period of depression and general malaise that often centers around menopause. Uh, if our listeners have not heard our broadcasts on that subject or have not uh, really become familiar with the pattern of uh, symptoms, both physical and psychological, associated with that uh, period of life when menstruation is ceasing and the body is going through this hormonal upheaval. I strongly urge them to get in touch with their physicians and explain what they're feeling because it is a treatable disorder. Now, uh, through estrogen replacement therapy and other approaches, diet, exercise, it is treatable. So instead of enduring this, in silence and perhaps going through the agonies that Marge went through. There's a better way to approach mm-hmm. this if, in fact, that is the accurate diagnosis.
And with that, we come to the end of this first program featuring Mrs. Marge Caldwell.